Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Berry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right. Welcome to episode 71 of The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm Nathan. As always, Barrett's on vacation, and so I have upgraded Barrett. And we now have Sean McCabe on the show. Sean, welcome. Nonsense. Nonsense. I'm a downgrade <laughs> from Barrett for sure. You know, um, Barrett's hair has been getting longer and longer each episode. And so maybe this is just the continuation that <laughs> this is where it's going to get. I, I'm just wondering if we're eventually going to have every person in the mastermind group on the show at different times. Uh, let's see. Who do we still need? Baron. Um, so James and Ryan were on. Is it just Baron that we would still need at this point? Has Caleb been on? Oh, and Caleb and Caleb. So we need to go hunt down Baron and Caleb. We'll get them on. It'll be great. I got an open slot Monday. <laughs> we'll make it happen. Well, you know, you and I are both in Boise now. So yeah, that's exciting news. We live 15 minutes apart, something like that. Yep. yep. <laughs> About as far apart as you can get is still being in Boise. Yeah. Yeah. So Talk about that for a second. You had a well, sabbatical year. Yeah, 2020 <laughs> was a sabbatical year for me. We were going to travel the world and the world had other plans. So we made it about a month into that <laughs> and then had to stop traveling, of course. But we had moved out of our house completely. We didn't have a house or a car. We just had backpacks traveling the world. Uh, but since we were no longer going to be going all over the place, we figured it's time to settle down. We were just sitting in Airbnbs for months on end. And we ended up in Boise, not for the first time. We've been here before. We really liked it, been here for craft and commerce. And we thought, you know what? We could really see ourselves living here. And so we just rented a house, kind of downtown area. And so far, so good. I mean, we haven't experienced the winter yet. Yeah, winter is going to be a little bit different than Texas. Yeah. But it, it still won't be bad. Actually, I should tell you that's going to be terrible. And then, you know, come January, you'll be like, it wasn't nearly as bad as you said. That's the way I set expectations. (laughs) But I'm enjoying Uh, it. It's nice. That's good. Well, um, I guess we always kick things off with red, yellow, green. So, Sean, you want to go first? How are you doing? Green. Perfect. Anything you want to add to that? Just enjoying life in Boise? I'm I'm just having a blast. I mean, I am still on sabbatical, but I'm just doing whatever I want. Nathan sends me a text yesterday. Hey, you want to be on the show tomorrow? I'm like, sure. You know, I'm just going with the flow. <laughs> well, we'll take uh, questions from the audience and, uh, and we've got some from Twitter, but if anyone drops in the chat, those get priority. Um, but I'm going to kick it off with the first thing. Talk about your 24 hour rule on sabbatical. Cause the truth yeah. is I asked you like a week ago, if you'd be on the show and you're like, ah, I don't know. I mean, you were basically like, yes, but I had actually rules. kind of forgotten that you did a week ago. <laughs> Um, so I've been doing these, these seventh week sabbaticals since 2014. So I work six weeks and then I take off a week. And this has been just game changing for me, game changing for my team. I also pay them to take off every seventh week as a sabbatical and as a recovering workaholic, it's just been really good to have that dedicated space, that time to disconnect and rest and whatever else, uh, you want to do really pursue those secondary passions, work on side projects, Uh, It's just been awesome, but 
it took two years till I really figured out something that was working for me because I, I had seen it as free time and I'd look and, oh, I got a sabbatical week coming up. I've got all this time. Right. And then Nathan would say, hey, you want to do this? Or <laughs> not necessarily Nathan, but, uh, and I would say, yeah. And I, I would fill up my whole sabbatical week and then I'd get there and all I wanted to do was rest. I just wanted to do a whole bunch of nothing but I had all these meetings and things that past me thought I would want to do. And so yes. uh, I came up with one rule to solve the problem for myself. No obligations on my sabbatical weeks. Just, just go into the week with pure possibility, just yeah. freedom. And you can say yes to anything in the moment. Okay, so that worked really well for me over the past five years of doing those sabbatical weeks. But 2020 was a whole sabbatical year. How was I going to kind of translate that rule to the year? Do I just not plan anything? So something that is kind of a little experiment for me, I've been trying, inspired by Warren Buffett, this 24-hour rule. You want to get a meeting with Warren Buffett. You can't just call up his uh, secretary and say, hey, can I get a meeting with Warren in three weeks? He only says yes to things within a 24-hour window. So you want to meet him in three weeks, you reach out in 20 days and you say, can I have a meeting? And he'll say yes or he'll say no. And I really liked that. So that's something I'm kind of trying out is instead of planning ahead and just lining up all of these things that maybe I won't want to do later, I just say yes to things in a 24-hour window. Yeah, I think that's great. Because otherwise you end up in this scenario where you pre-commit. You like past you is like, this is going to be a great idea. Future me is going to love this. And turns out future me doesn't usually love it. Or what happens is, you know, present me is like, I do, I don't want to do that, but you know who will, who will want to do it? Future me. Future me will be totally down to do it. It turns out that's never true. You got to give it, give a gift to your future self. (laughs) Yes. Oh man. Um, all right. Well, I guess on the red, yellow, green thing, I'm also green, excited to, excited to do this. I just want to say that we have the like light for anyone tuning in on video live. We've got I, I'm like, have a little too much brightness going on. It's kind of blown out in the background. You've got like the moody. Yours is, yours is really on. clean. I like that. But it is kind of a dark side of the forest, light side of the forest kind of thing. Okay. We'll represent that when we answer questions today. On that note, our first question is from Teddy Williams, uh, longtime regular listener here live as well. And he says, any tips for a first time writing a sequence or automation uh, set up for a webinar? Okay. So I'm assuming that This is something that we'll reuse a whole bunch. People sign up for the webinar, probably emails coming in beforehand of like prepping, setting the stage. And then afterwards, presumably we had a call to action on this webinar. And so then afterwards, we're trying to get people to take that action. Sean, anything come to mind right away? Yeah, let's assume that you have something to promote, something to sell, but you also want to provide value. I wouldn't talk about what you have to sell in the emails leading up to the webinar Nobody cares about what you have to sell right now. They care about their problems. They care about their goals. And so that's what you want to appeal to. Help them solve a problem and actually provide some value on this webinar. You know, don't don't just pitch and don't just sell. And so what is it that you're going to help them with? What's the little takeaway they can get a quick win from? And then sure, I'll pay, I'll pay you to help me do the rest, whether that's in the form of an ebook or a course or a service. So those emails leading up, what I like to do is have a list that says things you'll learn. 
and then mm-hmm. maybe half a dozen bullets. And it's like this, 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 you know, and it's how to alleviate this pain, how to do this faster. So it's not the actual takeaways themselves, but it's just little teasers. And honestly, these can be really short and sweet. As long as you really know who you're trying to reach and what their problems are, what their goals are, you can appeal to that in the things you'll learn list. You don't have to write 2000 words here to get someone to show up to the webinar. Yeah, totally. So I think of those emails leading up um, their job. It's really helpful when you're writing an email or doing anything to be like, what is the job of this email? And in this case, that sequence leading up to it, whether it's one email or four or whatever, depending on the amount of time, that job is to get the person to sign or to show up live to the webinar. They've already signed up to attend it and you're like, hey, they're going to come. They're totally not going to come. Like <laughs> one in one in four are going to show up, one in five, something like that. And so the job of that email sequence leading up is to get them to show up live. You know, um, on, on that point, uh, because people aren't going to show up live so much, the most common question you're going to get is, will there be a, a replay? Will there be a replay? Yes. So preempt that. Say, hey, if and don't worry in the PS or whatever. Don't worry. If you can't attend live, I will provide a replay. But then I like to say, however, if you do show up live, you'll be able to get real time feedback from me. I'll answer right. your questions. It's, it's always great. So a little bit of an incentive, but also don't worry. Yeah, because you don't want to be answering the same question in your inbox 25 times over again. Like, that's not like, right. Yep, there will be a replay. So that, that first email it's just, or the first series is to get them to show up live. And then afterwards, that job is to get them to take whatever action was the call to action for the uh, webinar itself. Leading up to it, you don't need to tease what you're selling or anything like that. You're not trying to do that. I would tell lots of stories leading up to it. If there's stories that will help the attendee see themselves in the webinar content where they're like, oh, that's me, right? And you can point to some solving some of those problems and then say, this is the kind of stuff, like solving this problem that Teddy has is the kind of stuff where like that's what we'll be covering in detail on the webinar. I think that's a good way to go. Yeah, people are also kind of burned out on those really salesy webinars. Yeah. Like hopefully you can kind of bring some freshness to the webinar format, but you got to realize people's context and what they're coming into this expecting, like, um, this is going to be a pitch. And and that's further exasperated by you saying, make sure you show up because there's going to be a deal that ends this weekend on the thing. It's like, they're not going to show up. They don't want to be pitched. So just emphasize the value. The other thing I would say is I like to send at least one in like a week in advance, just saying, you know, if this is important, like a launch or whatever, it's something you yep. do every week. Maybe you don't have to go that far out, but put it on their radar. And then as you get closer, I like to do a day before. And then believe it or not, I do three emails the day of. I do six hours before, an hour before, and then 15 minutes before. The reason I do 15 minutes, I actually treat that 15 minute email like the live email. I actually say we're live, mm-hmm. even though we're not going to be live for 15 minutes because you know, sometimes it can take a minute for the email to get there or for them to see it and then to click. So the worst case is someone sees it at 13 minutes early and they show up and like they're in the chat, which is also fine. Right. And you can also be in the chat talking to people, interacting, Hey, where are you coming in from? Yeah. Uh, Any of those things. So that's really good. I think the last thing I have on webinars is I wouldn't call them webinars. Mm -hmm. I would call them workshops or classes or any, (laughs) I think anything except for webinars, um, yeah. because I as call you them said, live, live training yeah. j- just because, yeah, it's this expectation with webinars is a lot of people have kind of ruined it. 
Right. There's nothing wrong with the word webinar. It just now has this connotation, this connotation of being like this high pitched thing. Here's what's going to happen. He's going to tell a story. He's going to hint that there's going to be some good stuff coming in training. And then we're going to do that. And maybe that good stuff will be like four minutes and then we'll do a 37 minute pitch. And it's like, no, (laughs) but you can't just call it something different. And then, Oh, magic. That solves all your problems. You have to change your mindset and how you think about it, how you approach it. If you want to call it a workshop, treat it like you're charging each attendee $99 to be there. Right. And and that's just going to create such a deeper relationship and connection with everyone who attends. They're going to associate you, your name, your face with receiving value. They're going to show up to more of those in the future. They're going to respond better. They're going to be warmer leads when you actually do have something to pitch or sell. Yep, totally. When that that reminds me that if you were actually paying for a workshop, right? If I was teaching a workshop that everyone was paying $99 for, then in those pre-emails, I would say, hey, you know, you don't have to do this in advance, but here's what you could do to prepare to get the most out of it. And you could give um, some of those action steps. Maybe it's read this article. Maybe it's like fill out this little worksheet worksheet for, let's say we're teaching a branding webinar or like on positioning or something like that, then I might have a worksheet that could get them into the right mindset of like, fill this out in advance and you'll get the most out of it. That's good. And then that might get some more actions where they're like, okay, I'm interested. Because the other thing, here's what's going to happen. Let's say I'm promoting this webinar uh, a week in advance and random attendee comes in. Their interest, like they're going to see it. They're like, oh, this is going to be so great. Right? So their interest and motivation is all the way up here. And then I like gradually tapers off as they go about their week. And then you're like later trying to be like, Hey, come in and actually show up. And they're like, Oh yeah. Past me did think that I would want to attend that thing. And so if you get some of the, you know, another one of these spikes, like a day out or something like that of interest where you're saying, Hey, here's what you're trying to learn. And here's a worksheet, you know, here's some training to help set the stage for it. That might reignite some of that original interest and motivation that was at its peak when they first signed up. One last tip on webinars that is not email specific, but might be helpful is when you go live, it's nice to engage with people who are actually there with you when you're live by responding in the chat, you know, calling out where they're from, that kind of thing. But then this is optional. You can trim the beginning of that for the replay. So someone's not spending the first three minutes just watching you call out people that happened yesterday. So you just say, all right, here, we're ready to get started. You just trim the replay to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting to think about what you want your opening line to be, because then you can deliver that at that point <laughs> rather than listing up names and all this stuff of, and being super interactive and engaging with the live audience, but the people might not care about as much later. We've got another question, question from Jessica Wicks here in the chat. Uh, I have an idea for the audience I want to serve and I want to have some customer discovery calls. How would you approach this? Cold emails, Facebook groups, Like, how would you go about finding those people for those customer discovery calls? So when she says customer discovery calls, is this discovery with customers or like trying to discover people who might be customers? I think of it as you have an idea for a product and Mm. you want to talk to customers to find out, okay, here, the product is somewhere in here and I need to, it's my idea and motivation pain points that I'm seeing. And I need to refine it down to something that's crisp. And then I need to talk about it in a way that uses customer's language and all of that. Okay. So, okay. That's helpful. Yeah. I have a class on this called pre-sale profits that, that kind of shows you how to do this, how to validate and 
the only way to validate an idea for a product or, or a service is to take payment. It doesn't matter how, how much people tell you, I'm interested, I'll buy this. You know, it's only when they swipe the credit card. It's only when the payment goes through that, you know, this is actually validated. People really yes. will buy this. And, and so you can use that to your advantage by pre-selling the idea even before you make it. So you can give them like an early discount or a loyalty rate or an introductory rate or a beta rate or run a pilot program. But all of this follows kind of figuring out what it is that you're going to put out there. And so to figure out that you need to talk to people, right? You need to have these, like you said, discovery calls. And the way to do that is, this is how I position it. You basically do a free consult. So say you have an email list, you say, hey, I am doing for this person. If you are a parent and you're trying to get work done at home and you're feeling distracted and you're not sure mm-hmm. where to find the time and the focus, you know, you, you, you frame it up so the person feels like this is me or like you're the agency owner and you're trying to delegate, you know, whatever it is. So the person feels like, yeah, that's me. I am doing a fr- 10 free one hour consults this week. I've opened up my calendar here's my Calendly. Let's do a strategy call. I just want to help you. And then you go into that as if they're paying you $499 for your time. And you learn, you listen, you ask questions. What are your goals? What are your struggles? What does life look like right now? What do you want to be able to do? What do you feel like is keeping you from getting to that point? And you just learn. And and don't even worry about like providing advice. You're doing research here. Maybe at the, the last 15 minutes of your hour long call, you provide some suggestions. First of all, they're just going to feel great just to feel heard and feel seen Mm -hmm. and understood and acknowledged. But when they get to the point where they're asking you, so what would you do here? What would you recommend? Then you can give them some advice. They're going to feel good about having spent that hour with you. But what you'll get out of that is a bunch of customer research where across these 10 conversations with a particular demographic, you're going to notice themes. You're going to notice commonalities, like least common denominators and, and similar problems across all of these prospects. And you can use that to start to crystallize this offer, right? Because, you know, nine out of 10 prospects said this, mm-hmm. eight out of 10 prospects said that, okay, cool. We, you've got something here. This is, this is common amongst a bunch of people. And so then you can start to develop your compelling offer and then you can pre-sell that offer to basically fund the production of this product or service. Yep. That's so good. One thing that I want to point out is with that customer discovery or really any, any coaching call, it's very easy. Someone's like, I have this problem. You're like, Oh great. Here's a solution. And what you'll notice if you've ever hired a coach who isn't someone who just randomly decided to be a coach, but like they're that, like that's their career. What you'll find is they almost never give advice. They pretty much always ask you questions. And not even leading questions like, Sean, do you think it's a good idea to run a profitable business or do you like to lose money? You know, or like, like not like that. They ask like open-ended, mm-hmm. open, honest questions yeah. and they let you find the answer yourself. And what's nice about this is it also works really well for customer discovery because you get to ask them these open questions that get them to think about, okay, what problems do I have? How would I solve that? And you get to hear their language they spend way more time talking than you do. And yet they still get a lot of value out of it because you played a role of a coach and you ask questions and you let them go through it. So it's more valuable for them because you didn't just talk over them and like 
you know, oh, I have a solution. Let me give that to you right away. And it's more valuable for you because they get to spend a lot more time talking. You have so much more language, so much more insight. So questions like these aren't even like insightful questions, but what else? And tell me more Mm -hmm. or tell me more isn't even a question. (laughs) The first first time someone asked me what else, it changed my life. Yeah. Talk about that for a second. I, I, I tell me more. No, no one wants to hear. Yeah. Good job. But no one wants to hear your problems, right? Your, your, your spouse, your friends, they're like, yeah, yeah. Can we talk about something else? You know? And so when you find someone who's not only willing to listen to the problems you just shared with them, right. But they're like, what? Okay. Yeah. Understood. You're feeling this way about that. What else? I was just like, wow, that's you want You want to hear? I got so much else. You know? <laughs> I can keep uh, talking. So I, I love that. Something else that that I'm realizing as we talk about this more, as we spend more time here, and I'm looking at this question again, something to watch out for, uh, Jessica. And keep in mind, my goal for you is to be able to launch a successful product mm-hmm. that people buy. I don't want you to launch to crickets. I don't want you to put in a bunch of time without getting paid to launch something no one wants and no one buys. That's my goal is to help you avoid those problems. So with that in mind, something you have to watch out for is when you have an idea for a product or service and you get really attached to that idea and you make this thing and you make it really well and you add a lot of polish to it and you make a nice landing page and a design and illustrations and write all the copy, but that's not actually what people want. Or maybe it's what they need, but it's not positioned as what they want, right? And so the only way to figure that out is by having these conversations with people where you'll discover A, how they describe the problem and B, what it is that they actually want. And you have to be open to the fact that that may be different from the thing you want to make. I don't make the rules here. You're welcome to make whatever product you want. We can all make whatever products and services we want. But if we want people to buy them, We need to read their minds. We need to give them what they want, not just what we want. I'm speaking from experience here. I've spent many, many years spending a lot of hours, weeks and months creating really great things that people need that weren't what they want. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how much you push and push and push and try and convince them that that they should want this thing. You're going to have a hard time. So I really encourage you to, hey, you've got an idea. Awesome. Let's set that aside for a moment and have 10 conversations. And find the thing that eight out of 10 say, find the thing that nine out of 10 say, and let that inform the product or service, the offering that you create. Yep. That's good. All right. Um, Spear app, which is an app, not a person, but I assume there's a person behind it on Twitter, uh, says of the companies either of you follow, what are the types of content you like most? Uh, what frequency do you like? What do you wish you received more from your favorite brands? We'll start there. The rest of the question is what content do either of you enjoy creating the most and where do you see the best results? But that's like six questions. And so I think let's focus in on like the, the first part. What are the types of content you enjoy the most? I'll just say for me, I like story or journey content. It's like as an individual or a company, I set out to do this thing. Here's what I learned along the way. And here are the results. That's why that's a lot of what I tend to write because it's what I enjoy reading the most. And so something that includes actual pain and frustration uh, and then real numbers, mm-hmm. you know, 
Yeah. And I, I always was inspired by Pat Flynn with that. Like yes. way, way back in the day, like he was one of the few people who was just putting real numbers out there. And it was just like, whoa, nobody's doing this. Yeah. One, cause everyone would give advice and there was no context, you know, like someone's like, Hey, here are the five secrets to a great product launch. And they're like, and I did this launch and it did really well. And all this, and they're like, okay, but was that a million dollar product launch? Cause if so, it's probably out of the scale that I'm really learning from when, when they're like, yeah. And then I talked to my Facebook ads agency and then I had my designer and my three editor, you know, and like all this stuff I'm like, okay, that's hard for me to learn from. Or on the other hand, was it a thousand dollar product launch? And I'm like, okay, well I'm further along in my journey than that. And so maybe that's not where I want to take advice from. But when people include actual numbers, it's real context. I'm like, okay, you did this strategy, this size of email list, this product resulted in that outcome. Oh, I can learn something real from this. So I wonder if Kent also meant like format, like some people like to read, some people like to listen, some people like to watch. I kind of like all three. It just depends on the context in which I'm consuming, you know, background, exercising or whatever I might throw on a podcast if I'm on my desktop or or phone, you know, I like to watch video, but then sometimes I like written because it, I guess it depends on the, on the topic and where I'm at and and what I want to learn. Because if most of the content is something I'm familiar with, but I'm looking for like a particular gold nugget on one piece, then I love the written because I can easily skim. And in seconds, I can get to the point in the article or the transcript where this is what I need versus a 52 minute video. Uh, you know, I'm just spending all this time. I have no right. clarity into what's coming up. So even though not everyone is like me, where you consume different things in different places, although I think a lot of people do, some people are just more auditory learners. Some are more kinesthetic learners or visual learners. The point is we all learn differently, which is all the more reason why you want to have different entrance points, different formats for your content to be able to reach people who learn different ways. That's not to say you should try and do everything all at once, I would recommend starting one at a time, you know, write a blog and do that consistently, get the rhythm, you know, get some consistency there and then branch out. Maybe you start recording your blog posts and turn that into a podcast, or maybe you turn on your webcam and make, make videos with that are screencasts, right? Like gradually branch out one at a time, make one thing. But ultimately I think it would be a good goal to have multiple different formats. So that's like you know, audio versus video versus written. But then you also have formats in the sense of, like you said, Nathan, story-driven stuff, maybe case studies, maybe just really tactical tutorials, right? So just kind of giving people all these different formats so that you're able to reach new audiences. So tying into that, Noah actually asked on Twitter to both of us, are you visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or textual learners? And so... I guess I can answer that first and then we can bring it back to uh, the content types. But I think I learned best from reading. So like textual learner. So reading or audio. So those would be my two sides. Funny side of things, I used to, when I was publishing books and courses, I didn't go all in on books or all in on courses. I did this hybrid model, right? Where I would have uh, the written book that might be 30 or 40,000 words And then in these other premium packages that have more like tutorial and interview content. And in the same week, I got um, an email from someone. They're like, you know, I read the book. This is so useful. Like, thank you so much. But what are you doing with all this like 
video content. Nobody learns from video. They learn from reading. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And like four days later, I got this email that was basically the opposite where people were saying, love the content, but it should have been a video course. Like, what are you doing trying to teach this sort of impactful stuff in written words? People learn when they get the video and the audio. And that's, you know, and I was like, I think we can agree that people are different. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) what would you People are going to learn different ways from you. So don't shy away from, um, creating content in different formats. You know, I know people who have recorded a a thousand, literally 1000 podcasts. They don't listen to podcasts, (laughs) but people listen to podcasts. So, Hey, yeah. Um, what formats do you prefer? You're trying to learn something. How do you go about it? I got to say written is probably my favorite because I feel like I can parse it the fastest, like Mm -hmm. it's most efficient for me, but I also really like audio because of its portability. I would say if I'm hooked on something and say, let's say there's a book that I want to read because not because I'm necessarily going to enjoy the process um, or like be hooked on the book, but because I want the information that's in that book to be in my brain. If it's an easy read, then paper all the way. But if it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, sitting down for some reading in the evening or something. And I know I'm like, ah, do I want to pick that up or something else? Then I'll do an audiobook Cause then I go for a run, I go clean the garage, any of those things. And I just feel like the audiobook breezes through and it's almost like my tolerance for how much it hooks me, has to hook me to keep me engaged is less on the audiobook, And I can still pause and be like, Oh, that was really good. And take a note or something like that. Yeah. So any of those books where if I'm struggling through it a little bit, even if I have the physical copy, I'm like, I still want to read it. Then I will go on Audible and buy the audiobook and listen to it there instead. Uh, as far as time of day, and this is just me, so I wouldn't extrapolate this necessarily. But when I'm working, I don't really, to me, it's an inter- interruption. I don't interrupt my work day to watch a seven minute YouTube video. Mm-hmm. I just hit watch later if I come across something interesting, uh, I'll just save it. And then in the evenings, I like to sit on my phone or iPad and I'll I'll go through my watch later. During the day, I like to parse written stuff quickly, email newsletters, articles, and then audio, either podcasts or audiobooks. For me, that's associated with exercise. So I cue stuff up and then I just go on a run or whatever and and I listen. Yeah, that's good. So I answered the part of the question about particular styles of content. Is there anything else that comes to mind of maybe a particular company or a, a creator where you learn the best from their content or they're a great example of it. Yeah. James Shramko. So he okay, runs a yeah. website, superfastbusiness.com. And he's actually the guy that I was referring to who's recorded over a thousand podcasts and d- does not himself listen to podcasts, which is so crazy to me, but he provides all the formats and granted for a long time, he was audio only on the podcast. More recently he's introduced video. So he films his podcast on video the audio track goes out as an audio podcast, but then the entire thing is transcribed. And I w- I've consumed all the ways with his content. I- I've listened to his podcast on the go. I've watched his videos. Uh, you know, I'll do 2x speed or whatever, but then other ones, depending on the topic, I'll just go through the transcript. So I can really kind of easily skip over the intros and get to the meat of it. Uh, but he hits all of those formats, does it really well. He's been in the game for over a decade. Uh, great business insights. Yeah, he's so sharp. Okay, we've got a next question uh, in the chat from Emily Mills. And Sean, this is right up your alley. 
And she's asking, what is the most important aspect of video repurposing? Is it about quality, uh, quality of the content, length? What are, the, what are those things, right? We're recording a 30-minute, hour-long video podcast. What matters as we go from there? Yeah, wh- why should you record your podcast on video? Why should you? Uh-oh. We've triggered a Sean, Sean McCabe soapbox. No, this is good. Why should you record every conversation on video as much as possible? I was just thinking about this, Nathan. I think one of the best gifts the pandemic has given us is the fact that though it's it's frustrating at times that we can't be face to face as much as we would like to with everyone, um, it's pushed our conversations virtually to where you and mm-hmm. I are in our own separate offices. We're having this conversation over a video call on Zoom but it's being recorded. Yeah. So have you ever had a great conversation with a friend or someone at a conference and wish you could take that conversation and just drop it, like download it into someone else's brain? Like, oh, if only you were there when we had this epic conversation. It, I, I've been able to do that lately because I've been having these conversations over Zoom. I've got the auto record on, it goes to the cloud. Then I talk to someone else and I can say, oh, you, you've got to hear this. I had such a great conversation. I give them that. It's essentially like a matrix download into their brain. It's just immediately they're up to speed and, and it's beautiful. But besides that kind of internal benefit to recording calls, why would you want to record a podcast? Well, the reason you want to record a podcast is because podcasts as audio files are not very easily distributed. Most social platforms are heavily visual. You can try mm-hmm. posting audio, kind of doing audiogram type things. But if you if you look at the stats, they don't perform as well. Video clips perform probably three to five times, if not even more like 10 times better than audio on social media. And so if you film yourself, then you have this material that can turn into everything. If, if you film what you say, you can transcribe it. It turns into words. Those can go out as emails. They can be show notes, blog posts, newsletters, PDF guides, the outline to a course or a speech. You can also strip out the audio. That becomes a podcast. So if you have video of when you recorded or said something, it can turn into almost anything else. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So video is the most important thing to start. And then tell everyone who, who doesn't know about Sean, Sean West Media and what you're starting there, because that'll give helpful context to everyone when they're like, OK, why why is Sean so passionate about repurposing content in particular? Yeah. So I started filming my podcast probably six years ago. And in, in more recent years, I realized I had all this great content. I could turn it into shorter clips for social media, just like these moments that worked well without any additional context. Mm-hmm. We could post that on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. And I was doing that for myself. I would take my video and I would just find the moments and I'd, I'd trim them and do all the work. But I realized this isn't something I should be doing. I should be writing more, making more shows, going live more, and I should have my team do the editing for me so I can make more great content. But in order to get my team to be able to do that, I needed to distill it down into a process. So I came up with this process. Anyone could follow it to be able to make clips from my content. So I was able to get my team to do that. And then at some point I realized why not provide this to other people who record videos and podcasts and they don't want to have to edit and find those moments and do all that animation and after effects and they don't want to deal with that. So we decided to provide this as a service that we call the daily content machine. 
So there's a little video at dailycontentmachine.co that kind of shows you what we do, but it's basically you record a weekly show, we turn it into daily content. All you have to do, mm -hmm. you show up once a week on Friday, you hit record, you stop it, we take care of the rest. Now you've got posts going out on the top five platforms every single day, over a hundred video posts a month. And so you're, you're building your brand, you're engaging with people, you're creating trust, you're growing your audience. That's good. So as you're looking to do that, you know, now you've do, done this for a lot of different shows, your own and a bunch of clients shows. What are the things where you're like, oh man, if they'd only yeah. done this. Yeah. One is, is it's got to be video, of course, but what are those other things where you're like, please change this for the future and then we'll make your content go so much further. Yeah. So great question. Remember, you can't ever go back and recreate video you didn't record. So just record yeah. all the things. Like even if you, oh, I don't know about my webcam, just grab, grab your phone prop it up or set it on a tripod and just film yourself while you have an otherwise audio call. At least you have it. You can delete it if you don't like right. it, but you can't go back and recreate it. So get it on video, even if it's your phone. I mean, phone cameras are pretty good these days, but let's say even if it's yeah. your webcam, most important thing I would say is audio quality. So even yeah. if your video isn't super fancy professional, at least get a microphone that you can plug into your computer. Uh, that'll do a lot better. But as far as like best tips, that would be when you're doing a long form show, say you do a weekly podcast, you're filming yourself with your iPhone or your webcam, or you do the fancy DSLR HDMI converted to your Mac, you know, that's oh, yeah. awesome. Um, you're doing a long form show. It's 60 minutes long. First thing would be if you want the end result of daily clips, here's a, here's a cool tip. Just think in terms of seven valuable takeaways. So what are we going to talk about here? We're going to talk about email automation sequences to promote your webinar, right? Okay, that's your title, that's your theme, but what are the seven sub bullets, seven takeaways that you're gonna hit on in this hour long show? Why seven? There's seven days in a week. So if you create seven valuable moments, seven clippable moments in your long form show, boom, now you've got daily content. Second tip would be when you're going into each of these points, and some of them may be kind of impromptu, right? Like if you're doing a live chat, and people are asking yeah. questions in the chat, that, that may be something that you didn't plan on. So just like when you're speaking on stage, you don't want to go, hey, what's your question? Okay, yeah, you do this. Well, nobody heard in the microphone what the question was. So always repeat the question. So in, in yeah. thinking in terms of clips, someone asks a question or you go off of your outline, always restate it, like set the context. Okay, when you want to promote your email your, your webinar over email, do this. That's a nice hook there for that clip. That's good. One other thing that you mentioned when we were talking, I think it was last week, is that Q&A is just a great format yes. for repurposing content yes. because it's the way that people interact with it. They're like, oh, I actually, I had that question. There's a uh, TV show that I used to watch years ago called Burn Notice. And uh, it's about this like washed up spy in Florida and... Uh, uh, it's just an entertaining, like definitely formulaic show, but they had this content that they would do to promote the show that they would put out on YouTube and other platforms. And they was just called like ask a spy. And it was the main character from burn notice, like answering these, you know, reader viewer submitted questions and like, and they had some good little animation with it and stuff like that. 
but it was these, just these really engaging, like one to three minute clips. And you just found that on YouTube or whatever else, where when it showed up on social, you just like keep moving through it. And it always hooked you in because that Q and a format uh, is such a good hook. Yeah. Cause you're getting inside the mind of the audience instead of guessing. You don't, you don't right. want to guess. And so the Q and a format, like what we tell our clients is, yeah, we can, we can turn your weekly podcast into clips, but we could also turn your weekly live stream Q and a into clips. Or another really good one is when our clients are guests on someone else's podcast and they're being interviewed. Mm. That works really well because when the host asks questions, our clients naturally deliver in these bite-sized formats. You know, they've got their answer. It just makes for a nice clip. With that Q&A format, you know, you don't have to think about what would people want? What would they like? The, the questions create the content and they basically write the titles of the clips as well. And you know, it's going to perform, you know, it's going to do well because it's coming straight from the audience's mouth. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I hadn't thought about that. So do you often have it of clients bringing you um, a clip when they were on another, on someone else's show and they say, well, they don't even think they don't even think to do it. So like we remind them. Hey, the next time you're on a podcast, I mean, everyone take this next time you're interviewed on a podcast, they probably aren't doing video, but you should right. like just turn on your webcam, film yourself. And then it, it doesn't even matter if you have the host's audio, you could literally just send us your end and we're just going to clip the parts where you were talking anyway. You know, and so that's interesting. So a good friend of ours, and actually I met Charlie through you. Uh, but uh, Charlie Prangley, who's uh, our lead designer at ConvertKit, she has a show now called Inside Marketing Design. And she it's a video podcast interview show where she's interviewing great designers at all these different companies. And, you know, for the one side, like there's not a good solution for remote live video recording. But she, I think she's doing it through Zoom. But what she does is she's actually not for her side, not using her webcam. She's got her DSLR set up like just right off here. And so now that I'm thinking about it, you could do that when you go on someone else's show. Like, hey, are we doing audio or video for this? Yep. And they're like, oh, audio only. And you're like, cool. You know, I'm not going to change that, but I'm going to set up my camera or I'm going to open QuickTime and record my yep. own video. And then later, you know, and so say, Sean, this is your podcast, which of course it would be a video if it was your podcast, but let's say it wasn't. Then when you ask the question, you know, Hey Nathan, how do you handle this? Like, Oh, that's such a great question. The way that I handle and you're looking into the camera yeah. as if you're talking to me <laughs> and, and then the I camera. restate the question, right? Cause I only have my audio mm -hmm. and then it's this nice, perfect, complete clip. And then I set there it off go. to my video editor. I set it off to the daily content machine or whatever. And then it's just like, Oh man, super high quality. And then you're not trying to anticipate questions or you're not having to do this other session where you're like, okay, let me sit down. Let me get my camera set up. Let me do all this. And like, oh, that wasn't a very good take. Let me snap my fingers, cut that. Like when it's you by yourself in your room, it's just not as good as when the host does it for you and cues you up so well. And actually the other reason is because when I'm recording by myself and I make a mistake, my mind goes, oh, let's do a new take. Whereas mm. when I'm on a podcast with someone else or it's live, then I go, oh, let's fix that with the next five words that come out of my mouth. You know, on that note, that's a great tip for anyone starting a podcast. I encourage you to stream it live. I know it's a little bit scary, but here's, here's a few benefits of doing that. One, it creates public accountability. As excited as you are to start this podcast, you're going to hit what I call the episode 20 hurdle. 
I see it again and again. When you get to episode 20, remember when you thought, I've got so many topics I could do this for years. Somehow you'll like combine three of them into one episode and you'll reach episode 20 and you're, you've exhausted your list. You're like, what am I doing? My downloads aren't going up. Why am I still doing this? You've got to prepare for that. It is coming. The episode 20 hurdle. I, I would say, write out your why. Why are you doing this podcast? You know, what is the reason? You got to remind yourself of that. But anyway, uh, as a way to pull you over that episode 20 hurdle, streaming your podcast live at a consistent time, as opposed to recording it offline whenever, the night before it's supposed to go out, you stream it live. That creates accountability. Then you have to show up. But it's also going to force you to think in terms of recording what we'd call live to tape. So it's it's a crutch to think, oh, I can edit that out. And then you restate what you said. And then you stumble over your words. And you go back, oh, I'll edit that out. Like we're not making a course here. If you're doing that with your podcast, you're not actually improving. You're just continuing to rely on the editing crutch. And then you have all the work of the editing. So if you treat it as live to tape, you actually stream live, you're going to get better. You'll stumble over your words and you'll say, you know, what I'm trying to say is this, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. That was plenty of questions. There's like three or four more from Twitter, but uh, we'll save that for another episode. Let's do creator of the day. Sean, you want to uh, kick us off with a creator? Yeah. I'm going to share my screen here because I have some visuals to share. Oh, I like it. Okay. Where's my, there's my presentation. So creator of the day for me is a guy named Jason Anderson. You can find him at Jason Anderson Art on Instagram. Look at this. Look how beautiful. It's so good. These designs are. I mean, he's a fine artist, just makes these really cool geometric paintings and they start out as sketches. He's done all these sketches. I noticed that he has dates on the sketches and the dates are often really far in advance of when he turns this into the actual painting. So you can see how he's kind of leaning into the moments where he's feeling conceptual and inspired versus like the moments where he's feeling like super focused and I'm going to render this in a beautiful painting and, and put the put the paint on the canvas. But just really, really cool, beautiful details. But I, I use this as an example in a tweet recently of doing more of what works. So you, you're probably you're probably struggling because you're doing all kinds of different things, trying all, all kinds of different things. I would encourage you to just explore and experiment until you find something that works. Mm-hmm. And what does it look like when it works? Well, you enjoy the process and the process is producing results. You know, that could be response in the comments, that could be sales, that could be signups, it could be whatever, right? You're, you're enjoying the process and it produces results. And then once you find something that works, and, and if you don't have something that works, just put all of your energy into that until you find it. This most recent thing, like daily content machine for me, took me six years to get to this point. I was kind of floundering around for six years, didn't have anything that worked really well, but I was just trying really hard, right? When you find it, you're going to know. It just clicks. You get on prospect calls, every single one of them says yes and shoves money down your throat. Like it feels like that. So I think of Jason Anderson when I think of doing more of what works because he's obviously found something. You scroll back in his Instagram, you'll notice, look at all of this. It's, just, it's the same theme. It's the same style and, and the same 
spirit to this, but he's approaching it in different ways. You know, I, he's kind of like milking it for all it's worth, but you scroll far enough back, you see the style changes over time. He's trying different things, but then he found something. This is working. So he does more of it. Uh, Jason Anderson art. He is, uh, I think also on Twitter, although it's like Jason underscore fine art or something like that. Anyway, check him out. Great follow but also kind of take the lesson from this when you find something that works and, and keep going till you find it. Do more of that one thing. I love that. That's great. Um, all right. My creator, let me see if I can find this is Mario Gabriel and he is a venture capitalist, uh, turned author, newsletter, publisher, all of that. So he was at charge ventures, but then now he's come over and he has this, this newsletter startup called The Generalist, and it's going great. He's been running it, I think, just for a few months now. He's already got 7,000 subscribers on it, really just covering all things tech. Uh, and it's been particularly fun to read lately because there's been a crazy number of tech IPOs, like S1s that have been filed. Like I think there was like six this last week. And so it's been especially fun to follow his stuff. Great follow on Twitter, uh, but uh, check out readthegeneralist.com. Um, I'll right, roll right into... A resource. My resource is the book Zero to One uh, by Peter Thiel. Uh, this is another one of those books that everyone, when it comes out, everyone says, read it. It's so good. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, I'll get around to it eventually. I finally picked it up uh, on audiobook. I've listened to it on my runs. And it's only like a four and a half, five hour listen. That's pretty short for an audiobook if you don't often listen to audiobooks. Um, and it's really good. I thought it was going to be about like startups in particular. And it's really more about, it's about startups, but it's about economics and the way you see the world and so many other things. So I was like, I don't know if I need another startup book right now, but I'm so glad that I dove into this because uh, I can already see it starting to shape my worldview. I have not read it, so I've added it to my list. That looks good. <laughs> it's, it's really good. All right, Sean, what's your resource for today? Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a little plug this is a new resource. Oh, I like uh, it. I've never, I've never shared the URL publicly yet, but it's something I've been working on for a long time. It is savetime.blog, and it's all about doing things faster on your Apple devices. Right now, I have one article there that talks about why I created this blog. I'm kind of waiting a little bit for iOS 14, like kind of, you know, launch it like fresh with the new iOS and stuff. But whether you have an iPhone or a Mac or an Apple TV or an Apple watch or whatever, I've just accumulated so many tips, just tricks and little ways of doing things. I mean, even if you consider yourself a power user, I've, I've got a bunch of stuff that you haven't seen before, faster ways to do things. I'm going to be sharing all of that here. I've signed up for a new convert kit account. Right. So, uh, get me to the point where I'm paying Nathan Barry some money and go subscribe. So you get those tips when they come out, but this is kind of a little sneak preview of what's to come. So I just went to savetime.blog and uh, I subscribed. Does that make me the second subscriber after you or do you have a few more? I think a couple people snuck in. Oh, how'd they do that? Oh man, <laughs> right, I'll, I'll, I'll settle for being like the seventh um, subscriber. But that's really fun because Sean, you're always the person I go to when I'm like, hey, how do you do this? Because you have some clever you know, shortcut or macro or you're like, I don't know if I know, even know very many people who use the automations features in Mac. And you're like, wait, 
how could you survive without those? <laughs> what are you even doing? If, if you're not convinced, if you still haven't gone to save time.blog and signed up because you're like, what's this Sean guy? Let me give you a few tips. If you know all of these, well, you should still sign up anyway, but you might not. Okay. Apple Watch, you got the digital crown. Double tap the digital crown to go to the most recent app. Okay. So you, nice. you had a workout app, you switched to music. Don't go home and then go to your apps and find the workout app again. Double tap the crown back and forth super fast. On the same note, iOS, you got the little bottom bar here on the newer phones for the home. You know, you can swipe up. Well, you might know that if you swipe across that bottom bar, you can switch between apps, right? It looks like this. You're swiping left and right. It switches okay, between I didn't the apps. Know that. Oh, oh boy, Nathan. So <laughs> already. Okay. Yep. So, but it gets even better. Now that you're on your home screen, if you're like, yeah, Sean, I know you swipe the bar to go to the different apps. Okay, well, check this out. From the home screen, swipe. It's not even there. There's not even a bar right here. You can't even see it, but you can swipe to, let me see if I'm, I'm not looking at my phone. So you know, it's the other direction. You can swipe to go to your most recent app. So instead of finding your app in the folder on the home screen, just swipe across the bottom. I keep doing it the wrong way. Swipe across the bottom. You're in your most recent app. So there's a couple. Uh, another one is you probably tell, you probably underutilize Siri. I would encourage you to to give it another shot. I know it's been a struggle over the years, but it's getting better. You probably at least use it for timers though. Timers, reminders, things like that. Two tips here. When it comes to timers, instead of saying, Siri, set a timer for 12 minutes, check this out. All you have to do, hold the side button, 12 minutes. Okay, your timer is set for 12 minutes. You don't have to say all the rest of the stuff. Set a timer for this long. Just say 12 minutes. <sighs> you got a timer going. Let's do one more. Reminders. You probably know you can say, Siri, remind me to email Nathan at 5 p.m. or in an hour. There's also location-based reminders, like remind me to email Nathan when I get home. Here's the cool one. You can say, remind me to email Nathan when I get home in an hour. And what will happen is it will remind you whichever one comes first. So if you didn't end up getting home when you thought, it'll tell you in an hour. If you got home in 45 minutes, it'll tell you then. There's just a few. I've got dozens more. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, this is the kind of thing that I always like to do for Sean because we were talking a couple weeks ago and I was scheduling to, or like posting tweet threads and you're like, you know, there's a plus button on there where you can do the whole list. Yeah. So if you <laughs> want to, if you want to post a tweet thread, you're on Twitter, you want to. So notice I'm making a clip right here. So meta, if you're on Twitter and you want to post a tweet thread, you've probably seen people do those before. You might post a tweet and then say, add a tweet and type it up. And a couple minutes later, you look for typos, you add that one, and then you add another one. You don't have to do that. You can pre-compose the entire thread in Twitter. You probably haven't even noticed this. Down near the tweet button, somewhere in the, on that card screen, there's a little plus. So you write your first tweet. It looks good. Don't hit tweet yet. Hit the plus. It'll add another one. You write that. You look for typos. You do your whole thread. Then you can tweet all of them all at once. So good. All right. That's a good place to wrap up. Sean, thanks for joining us. Everyone go to savetime.blog, seanwest.com, twitter.com slash seanwest, all of the different places. Uh, thanks for hanging out and uh, we'll see you all later. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. 
To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.